time now for AOA to continue, and it's time for the monthly grind with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association. We like to do this event each month. You can find us on the first Wednesday of every month here on AOA. We're talking about what happens to that corn after it leaves your farm. Where are those new amounts of demand going to come from? And to do that, we are joined this month by the Market Development Action Team member Troy Schneider. He is a Colorado corn grower, longtime member of NCGA. And Troy, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Mike, for having us here. It's always a pleasure to visit with you here on the monthly grind every uh, every month on the first Wednesday. Well, we appreciate doing it. And Troy, I want to talk about market development, which of course is what the market development action team does. And sometimes developing new markets means maintaining the gains that we've had. And I understand that you and Sarah McKay from NCJ recently had the chance to travel to Brussels for the US-EU Collaboration Platform on Agriculture. That's a huge name. Troy, what was this deal that you and Sarah went to over there in Europe? Well, Mike, the collaboration platform on agriculture started about, uh, this is the first time it, it has happened. It started over a year ago with the USDA visiting with its counterpart, DG Agri over in the European Union. And we attended after the, the collaboration platform on ag, we attended the European Union's ninth annual agricultural outlook forum. And, you know, everybody's hearing about farm to fork and their green deal over in Europe. And so I think my opinion is this is USDA's way of having a conversation, having an open dialogue with our counterparts in the EU and trying to understand where some of their policies are coming from, where they're wanting to go and answering our questions and our concerns as to how that will affect us with different, um, you know, like you said, we have to defend our markets and not only defend our markets, but also in, not only in the European Union, but the influence the European Union has on other countries uh, and their policies, whether they adopt a radical policy such as what we're seeing south of our border right now. You know, that is a great point, Troy. When we think of the developed economies of the world, of course, the United States is up there. We've got science and technology. And we think of Europe as having science and technology, too, but they really don't when it comes to agriculture. And could you tell us a little bit about how, what were some of the key differences between the U.S. folks who were there talking about our, our way of doing business and the Europeans? So where did you see some of the biggest differences in, in mindset? Some of those biggest, some of the biggest differences that I got to witness was just the the view on how they want to use technology or don't want to use technology, uh, the strict regulations that the European farmer is facing on not only fertilizer use but herbicide use, um, the the reductions that they're wanting to see over there, the reductions in how many animals they can have per hectare or per acre over here, uh, but over in the European Union. Those regulations, um, I think Ted McKinney with the National Association of State Department of Agriculture said it best, we're going to agree to disagree. Um, we're, we're gonna have a strict, uh, uh, a very strong argument uh, in those discussions, but then we sat down afterwards and we were friendly and had uh, great conversations about how we, how we view things different. Uh, but the technology was the the strongest one 
you know, and agree to disagree means that we've got some areas we're, we're not going to find common ground on, at least not anytime soon. But Troy, I imagine since it is farmers in the EU, just like it's farmers here, there are some common ground areas that, that we can work together on. Did you identify any of those as you were working with your compatriots there in Brussels? Yes. Um, you know, the European Union, the, the farmers of the European Union have a different opinion than the policymakers of the European Union when it comes to the restrictions that are being placed on the farmers themselves. Um, I urge the European Union stakeholders over there and the United States Department of Ag to listen to their farmers and their ranchers. You know, that we're the ones who know what's going on on the ground. Um, you know, yesterday you had a conversation with NCBA about waters of the U.S. And again, I think that's a classic, classic one where they need to listen um, to what is actually going on on the ground, not the policy dictating down, but the the what the what the environment's wanting to um, talk about there and how it what is actually fact out on the ground. Right. What does the science support? What can, what does the research bear out to help us make decisions versus maybe potentially what's what's emotional uh, mm -hmm. as a response? Troy, to that end, I understand soil health is one of those topics that it, it does sound like some common ground was found. Was that an issue that was under hot discussion? Uh, it is. Um, you know, they they would like to see more cover crops, less herbicide use, uh, more crops continually being grown. And, you know, their rainfall is greater than, at least their rainfall is greater than what I see here in Colorado. Now in the Midwest, it's a different story, but the, the limitation on the use of herbicides and the limitation on the fertilizer, my concern there was um, don't hijack soil health for a strict climate policy that it's, it's maybe not even best for the environment when they're talking reduction of their food production and increased food prices based on their policies. You know, I think uh, you asked what the biggest difference was. Overall, it's, you know, the United States is committed to feeding and fueling the world. And um, to me, the European Union wants to look more inward and take care of itself and they have that right to, but we also have a responsibility to feed our, to feed the, to feed humanity. That is certainly true. That is certainly true. And of course, you know, as I think of other issues that are percolating in Europe, and as you mentioned, Troy, these ideas maybe start there, but they they push them around the world into Africa, and of course, into uh, uh, Australia and New Zealand and greenhouse gas emissions is where I'm going with this. That is certainly a hot topic in the EU. Was it under discussion at the CPA meeting? Yes, it was. Um, you know, uh, there was a, a gentleman there that was talking about tax on greenhouse gas emissions on animals and different items like that. And, and we strongly said we, we'd be against that, that there would be no room at the table for that. And, you know, the European Union has signed uh, trade agreements with New Zealand right now and has brought New Zealand into the mindset of, you know, if you're going to trade with the European Union, you're going to adopt their practices. And that is where we, we draw the line as to we have our sovereignty here um, and we have to be able to have all the tools in the toolbox to raise that production. At the EU Ag 
agriculture outlook on Thursday and Friday of that week, the USDA stood up and had a, a chart that I think all corn producers should be really proud of. And it was the, the adaptation of not only her, uh, hybrids, herbicides, uh, guidance, you know, uh, technology, and it, it was paralleled with the increased production that we've had, the, the, per ache, the, per, the bushels per acre. And uh, it was a tip of the hat to the U.S. corn farmer there. Absolutely. When we layer on these technological and scientific advantages to American agriculture, we get really good, not just from a production standpoint, but from an efficiency standpoint as well, which is good news for emissions and you know all that other stuff they're concerned about. Troy, talking about these issues, listening to what the EU is after it, it doesn't sound like it's a market that American farmers want to be involved with. They can have their rules and, and let them be. Tell us, why was NCGA there? What was the Market Development Action Team doing at a meeting like this? Well, I think it's to, you know, the USDA invited us, and I think the most important part is to have those communications, to learn not only to see what's going on behind the curtain over in the European Union, but also to know what's going on with our, our partners over in Africa, Mexico, uh, and wherever trade may take us. But also, we need to learn how to let me think about this. We need to learn the lessons of the European Union farmer. We have a strong voice in the United States here with agriculture, especially when it comes to Washington, D.C. And we have to continue to build those relationships, work with the USDA, work with our, you know, NCGAs, working with NCBA and other entities to make sure that our voice is heard. You know, I think the most important thing would be to say here today is there's a reason why it is important to be involved not only as a member of an NCGA but also take part in that checkoff process to make sure that we're um, educating and we're getting our story told the way it should be and not letting others tell our story for us. Absolutely. Don't let U.S. policymakers get too far ahead of American farmers like they've done in the EU. Folks, we've been talking with Troy Schneider on this month's Monthly Grind, and we'll be with National Corn Growers at Cattle Convention in New Orleans next month. Be sure to join us there, and thanks for listening to the Monthly Grind.